Hey, everybody. It's Allie. And welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, February 24th, 2013. The great snowstorm that has rocked Genoa City is now over. And the repercussions are just beginning. I have to first start out by just talking about Lauren. Everything surrounding Lauren has captured my imagination all week. I've been dying to find out what happened between her and Carmine because I don't watch the show every day when it comes out. I save them up and watch them on the weekends so I can just have a a blast of YNR, one episode after the next, and just enjoy and totally immerse myself in the show. And even my boyfriend has seen me last week gasping over <laughs> that scene between Lauren and Carmine, and he asked me all week, hey, did, did the plow come yet? <laughs> just, we were both, actually, he doesn't even watch the show, and he was dying to know what happened between Lauren and Carmine. So when we last left off, they're standing in the lobby of the athletic club where you turn one way and it's the door to leave the, the building and you turn another way and it's a staircase leading up to hotel rooms where there are beds. <laughs> and it was such a crossroads moment for Lauren. Like, what is she going to do? And thank God she came to her senses because Carmine suggested getting a room. And she came through, came came to her right mind and said, no, I need to go. And she left. And thank goodness. I'm, I, you know, I have been compelled by the hotness and the intrigue of that situation. But, you know, I am a Lauren and Michael fan. I love their relationship. I've been really a big fan of theirs for a long time. They're one of the only stable, good couples on the show. They've had such a great relationship and they've overcome so much. And I didn't want to see Lauren just blow it. I was interested, but you know, not really. <laughs> I didn't want to see her just go and have this hot, flaky affair with the bartender. So I'm glad that she came to her senses. I mean, canoodling with the guy in the lobby of the athletic club was bad enough. She better hope nobody saw it. <sighs> well, she gets home. And tensions are very, very high between her and Michael and everyone and Fen. And, you know, Michael keeps apologizing, saying he's sorry for not believing in Fen, not trusting that he didn't push Jamie off of the roof. And for as much as Michael is apologizing, Fen is throwing up walls and he's not hearing. And Lauren is caught somewhere in the middle. Both Lauren and Fen blame Michael, and am I the only one who doesn't blame Michael? I just feel like Michael was doing his job, and he was trying to be a good parent in his own way. He thought tough love is the thing that's going to turn Fend around, and so I think that's why he did it, and for as much as everyone is blaming him, I don't. I just don't see it. Michael did not create this situation. Fen did. Fen caused this entire chain of events to be set into motion. And for a mistake that Michael made, Michael did make a mistake, but he is trying to talk it out. He's trying to resolve it. He's not trying to run away. He's not getting all angry. And it was such an interesting scene. Um, during the storm, Michael and Fen and Kevin are all trapped in the apartment with the power going out, and Kevin is having a mild panic attack, and Fen asks Michael what's going on with Kevin, and that's when Fen finally learned the truth about Kevin's childhood and what Kevin's father was like. And it was such a, a, a dawning moment, or it should have been a much more dawning no moment for Fen, that, like, yeah, Kevin had a bad father. Kevin's father locked him in a closet without food or light for days. Fen has gone through nothing of the sort. I, I don't understand why Fen feels like his father is the worst person in the world. I mean, this is out of nowhere. I, 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 uh, I just, I can't stand the kid. <laughs> the kid gets up under my skin. And I feel empathy for Michael. And as far as being a husband, 
Michael's not the one who's out there looking for comfort from random bartenders. Michael is home trying to work it out while Lauren is the one who's pulling away. Oh, I was so very upset to hear her announce that she's decided to move out. Which doesn't even make sense. If she was really that mad at Michael, why wouldn't she ask him to leave? She moves out and kind of left Fen and Michael together to work it out. But I don't even think that was her intent. She was just like, I'm out. I'm leaving. See ya. Uh, Michael's heart was so broken. I really, he, he, he looked at her like, why are you doing this? It was such a genuine reaction. And I felt for him so deeply in that moment. Because <sighs> how is moving out going to help anything? Moving out is the first step toward divorce. So I don't, I can't, I don't know where her head is right now. Um, she had this big grand statement to Michael uh, saying, we had a happy family, a happy marriage, and a happy kid, and you broke us. Fen caused this problem. It had nothing to do with their marriage. Lauren needs to stay home to be there to hold her family together, to bring it back together. Not go get a room at the club where Carmine works. I am appalled by how Finn and Summer are magically off the hook for what they did to Jamie. It's not right. Fen has somehow found a way to make it all about Fen, and Summer is just, like, moving on to the next shiny thing that catches her attention. There's, there's no remorse here. It bothers me that Fen and Summer did this really horrible thing, and there's not a like, it was all wiped away by the fact that Jamie told one lie about it. Oh, that just, it just digs at me. Neither Fen or Summer are particularly redeemable for me at the moment. Fen is just creepy. He's, he had this scene with Summer this week where he's all mad at Summer because she told Phyllis about their plans to run away, and apparently Phyllis told Michael and Lauren in a scene that we didn't see, and now they're down on him about the running away thing, which, again, we didn't see. And so he, he just had this moment of being angry with her. He even said something like, I was finally ready to forgive you, and now this. And he's always screaming. Fed is screaming in every scene. This kid has got some bad teen rage I'm wondering if Summer is going to mysteriously fall off of a roof sometime soon. Who knows? The kid seems dangerous to me. But again, Jamie is the innocent one in all of this, and it feels like he is taking the fall. Uh, Paul brings Jamie by Michael's house this week to apologize, which, <laughs> I'm sorry, I feel like Jamie should have been there to get an apology, not give an apology. Thank you. <sighs> it was so sad. Like, Jamie, Jamie's just standing there beside Paul, looking all sweet and cute and kind of ashamed of this one bad thing that he's done. And I, I love Jamie and Paul together. I just, as soon as they walked in the door, I, <laughs> they almost had like a similar body language in a way. And I just thought, oh, I want Paul to adopt Jamie and then make him like his little junior P.I. You know, like he needs, no, nobody ever replaced JT. Remember when JT was kind of Paul's underling and his little, took him under his wing. And I want Paul to do that with Jamie. It was just... I, uh, that was my wish, and that's not going to happen, because instead, apparently, Jamie is getting shipped off to Washington, D.C., where Ronan is. I mean, I guess in the scheme of things, it's good for, uh, good for Jamie. He's had problems in Genoa City, and now he's going to D.C., where he's going to stay with Ronan. Ronan has applied for guardianship for him, or pulled some strings, and, and now Jamie's going to be staying with him. But I feel sad. I, I feel truly sad about that because uh, Jamie was kind of a moral compass for these rich brats. Don't you think? Like, I, I just connected with him really quickly. So much more than I ever did with Fen or Summer. He was the underdog and he just pulled on my heartstrings in just the right way. And I'm sad to see him go. But 
you know, the, the scene where Jamie and Paul are at Michael and Lauren's was, it was very tense. There was a moment of apologizing. I mean, all around Jamie apologized to their family. It just, it just grated me. He's like, you know, you guys took me in and I, I, you know, and then I did this to you and I'm sorry. I just don't feel like what Jamie did was so bad. I'm obviously on the Jamie slash Michael team, not the Fen Lauren team <laughs> right now. Lauren was again very bitter, but the kid did cause problems that had a ripple effect. But it's Fen. Fen is the one who caused the problems. Oh, I could just go on in circles about that for the rest of the day. Um, but you know, everybody apologized. It's you know, I'm I'm sad that the situation turned out the way it did, because rather than shipping Jamie off to D.C., I would have rather seen Fen actually become friends with him, or Summer become friends with them, and maybe they all become little buddies. <laughs> I wanted the happy ending, obviously, but, I mean, at the end of the day, what Jamie did was nowhere near as bad as what Fen and Summer did, and he is the one that got sent away. And I had another thing, like, the other good thing about Jamie was that he was a connection to Paul. He gave us a bridge to Paul and more Paul. And Paul in the right way, where we're seeing Paul uh, talking about his parenthood. Because that's probably the biggest criticism of Paul's character in recent months, years, is that he is a crappy parent. He had never paid attention to, to Ricky growing up. And he realized only after Ricky's death what a huge mistake this was, that there were instances where Ricky had reached out to Paul and Paul didn't catch on to it. So Jamie's presence really helped redeem Paul's character, too. And there was a scene where Paul and Jamie are talking at the coffee house, and just Jamie's asking questions about Paul's son, and Paul's trying to answer without saying all of the horrible details that happened to his son. But it's clear that 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 Paul is trying to rectify some of the mistakes that he made with uh, with Ricky inside this Jamie Fenn situation. And I liked that. I would like to see more of that. I like Jamie and I felt pleased with the path that this pushed Paul along because ultimately at the end of the day, Paul may have killed his own kid, but he saved Jamie's life. Hmm, Summer and Kyle. What are you guys thinking about this? What's the age difference here? Like, she's 17? 16, 17? He's probably, I mean, what do you think? 24, 25? Maybe 23, 24? He's out of college, I assume. Um, it's a significant age difference, obviously. I don't think that Kyle is trying to hit it. That's not the vibe that I get. I think Kyle is trying to be nice and supportive, and Summer is the one with the budding crush. It's it's clear. There was just a brief little moment, and you could just see it in her eyes that she was kind of into him. And Nick saw this too, <laughs> by the way. Nick walks into the coffee house just as Summer and Kyle are sharing a hug, and mm, Nick gave Kyle the death stare. The look that he gave. Ooh. <laughs> I would not want to be Kyle in that situation. It's only going to be, what, maybe another week before Nick has to take Kyle aside and give him a stern talking to. But again, like, here's the thing. Be mad at Summer for what she did to Jamie. Be concerned about what she did to Jamie, not who she's hanging out with and what potential older guy crush she might have. Like, did Phyllis even tell Nick about what Summer's involvement was in that? Summer confessed to it after Paul pushed Phyllis a little bit. But did Phyllis even turn around and tell Nick? I don't think so, because Nick has always been the more of the disciplinarian, and we didn't get any of that. This is just a whole, it's just bugging me. <laughs> Nick, if Nick knew, I think he would have been talking to her about that, not her choice in men. Phyllis, on the other hand, is way too busy trying to keep Jack at bay. He's pushing. Jack wants to have a relationship with her, and she is not 
willing, ready to commit. But he like keeps making these non-dates that are really dates. Any chance that he can get to sort of swoop in there and get to her heart, he's going to do it. And, you know, probably the fact now that they're children are becoming best new friends that really only sweetens the pot the bad news is alex lost his job and he's hanging out at the underground trying to drown his sorrows and get free drinks out of noah who's behind the bar the good news is <laughs> Alex was flirting pretty hardcore with Abby this week. What did you guys think about that? We've had so many tests uh, between Alex and women. It was sort of a test with Alex and Chelsea, and now uh, Alex and Abby. I, what do you guys think? Who who does Alex need to be paired with? There was a little moment between him and Sharon. It's it's. There's a question as to what we're gonna do with Alex. Who we're gonna do <laughs> with Alex more appropriately? Um. I think that Abby is too young for him, and I think that she is too high-maintenance for him. On the other hand, she's also probably easy. <laughs> it's probably not too hard to get Abby Newman into bed. <laughs> All it takes is a little bit of attention. That's what she really wants at the end of the day. She wants somebody to pay attention to her. And she has lots of experience with cops. <laughs> she loves getting arrested, so I'm sure they could uh, find some kinky ways to use those handcuffs. <laughs> it was interesting. Um, he totally checked her ass as she walked out the door. Like, they had a sort of a, a moment of connecting, and then she got up and walked away, and he totally leaned back and checked that ass. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was interesting. So, you know, Alex, there hasn't been a whole lot done with him yet, but now I get the feeling that we are going to be loosening him up and giving him a personal life soon. Um, odd, odd little happenstance this week. Catherine is out also driving in the snow. I don't know why she didn't have the driver do that. She had the driver come around and get her to take her to the pharmacy when the weather was perfectly fine, but now she has to be out driving in a snowstorm, and she crashes her car, and Adriana happens upon her and pretty much saves Catherine. Catherine probably couldn't have handled being out in that cold for very long, and Adriana gave her a ride back to the mansion, and I don't know... Which came first, but Adriana, after finding Catherine, realizes that she's going to have to take her back to Genoa City, wherever Catherine was, I don't know, and Adriana decides that, yes, yeah, she will go back to, to Genoa City, and she's going to return the money. Now, I don't know if Adriana was on her way back... Or if she was just hiding out. I'm not sure where the change of heart happened. But she takes Catherine back to her house. And then stops off at the underground to find her brother, Alex. And she gives him the bag of money back. And uh, the, his gun as well. So Alex has lost his job with the force. Because he was unable to recover this money. Now he's got the money back. He's got his gun back. At least even if he can't get his job back. At least he's recovered the money. He can repair his reputation a little bit. Surely there are going to be some charges against her, right? She can't just skate away, right? I mean, of course, what am I talking about? There's not going to be any repercussions. This is Genoa City. People just do things and get away with it. So I assume no charges are going to be uh, brought against her. And instead, she's going to come out on top because she's starting to get real cozy with Catherine out of nowhere like just because she saved Catherine's life now all of a sudden Catherine is very close with her in fact there was a scene where Catherine and Jill are just hanging out inside the mansion and Adriana unless I missed something and Esther opened the door Adriana just opened the door and walked right in did I miss something because that was that seemed very very presumptuous to me and Adriana comes in and starts talking about how she wants to accept Catherine's job proposal. So Catherine apparently offered Adriana a job, which I don't remember. I think it was one of those, another one of those happened off 
scene sort of things. But more importantly, Catherine doesn't remember this. She's she's really having she's struggling. She does not remember. And this is a bad time to bring in a new person into your life. Somebody you don't really know. Adriana could scam her out of millions. And Jill is on to it. And I want Jill to keep an eye on Adriana because I do not trust her at all. She clearly is, yes, okay, she ultimately did the right thing and didn't screw over her brother, but she is clearly a money grubber. I think she's shady, and I don't trust her with my Catherine. I don't know. Do you guys? I just feel like she could be up to something. But she interviewed for Catherine's assistant job, fair and square, and she made the, uh, the comment that she knows how to keep a secret. You know, she knows high-profile people need to keep things secret, and she'll keep her mouth shut about anything, and you can pretty well bet that she's going to have to keep the secret, that Catherine is losing her memory, losing her marbles, which is, that's going to be a full-time job <laughs> for Adriana. And I don't know. This is weird. Catherine loves strays. She loves taking in strays. And now the harmony's gone, I guess she just needs a new charity project. Adam and Sharon are at Adam's house in the middle of the snowstorm and things get heated and Adam just rips Sharon's top open like it was a window curtain. Just flam! <laughs> it was hot. Like, it was a window to sex. <laughs> I loved it so much. I, no matter what you think of Adam and Sharon, how could anyone not find that hot? It was, they're, they're, they have so much chemistry. Adam and Sharon, I just love them together. I wanted it to keep going. I was like, yeah, rip it open and keep going, keep going, keep going. We haven't seen Michael Mooney without any clothes on for a while. We need to see Adam with his shirt off. <laughs> we need, we need an Adam and Sharon lovemaking scene. I'm ready for it. <sighs> Unfortunately, Things kind of calm down. It's always Sharon putting the brakes on. Adam would have boned her a couple weeks ago if it wasn't Sharon putting the brakes on. She decides they can't do it. And sure enough, just after that, Chelsea comes over to Adam's house. She's driven over there in a snowstorm to tell him that she's pregnant. And just as she's about to utter the words, Sharon comes walking downstairs Oh, you guys, wearing one of Chelsea's tops. Oh, that was a good freaking scene. It's one thing to see Sharon walking down the stairs where you used to live. Totally another to see her wearing your clothes. Oh, it was good. <laughs> well, Sharon had to have a different top because Adam ripped hers. I mean, you know that. Indication that they're involved, and immediately Chelsea is humiliated. Oh, can you imagine how humiliating that would be? Another woman wearing your clothes. Just let that sink in for a second. Ooh, I think Chelsea was thinking that maybe this pregnancy was going to help their relationship. I really believe that if Chelsea could erase Sharon from existence and get back together with Adam, even before she knew she was pregnant, I think she would do it. Because we all know how bitter Chelsea is. And for as angry as she is, that's how much she loves him. Her, her bitterness is a result of her love for him and her inability to have him. And there's this brief moment where she's just about to tell him, Sharon walks on in, and Chelsea has to backpedal. She has to come up with a, a plan B, something else to say. And she immediately just gets huffy and tells Adam that she just came there to give his ring back. And she gives the wedding ring back to him, which was so obvious that that's not what she was going to do. When, before Sharon entered the scene, Chelsea had this look and a love look in her eyes, a longing like, I, I want to tell you about our future and what it will be. And it just got completely dashed when Sharon walked in and Chelsea's reaction turned visceral and angry. And she just takes her ring and slaps it into Adam's hand and walks out. <sighs> And Sharon left not too long after that. Sharon realizes that she keeps causing problems for Adam, whether she wants to or not. I, I just wish 
that Sharon and Adam would get it on. I do. Like, enough with this cat and mouse. Either do it or don't do it. It feels like they're every week there's a will they, won't they moment between Sharon and Adam, and I just wish they would both own it and be together if that's what they want to do. Now, clearly, the smart thing to do would be to hold off. I think Sharon's instinct to not get involved with Adam is probably, in reality, correct. It could interfere with work. It could cause all kinds of problems working together. Sharon is happy at her job. She's excelling. She needs that. And she doesn't need to mess it up with a relationship with the boss. That's probably like, if Sharon were my friend, I would tell her not to do it. Certainly. But speaking of work, by the way, side note, but awesome side note. Victor is at the athletic club sitting next to Mason at the bar and they're clearly talk, talk, talking when Adam walks in, sees them and realizes right away what's going on. Clearly, Victor is trying to get to Mason to get to Adam. That's how Victor operates. And Adam, after Victor leaves, questions Mason about it. And he's like, oh, no, no, it's not me. I'm I'm on your side. I have nothing to do with Victor. And Adam's like, oh, yeah, really? Well, you fired anyway. <laughs> Adam Donald trumped him. You fired. <laughs> see ya. And I'm so glad because I just really did not want to see Sharon's medication get messed with. So I don't know what's going to become of Mason. Wyatt hasn't done a, a stellar job of doing anything with him, really. He's pretty much a plant. I thought we were supposed to get something good out of him. But no, he's fired. I don't know what connection he's going to have to the show now. But he's gone. Thank goodness because I didn't want to see Sharon get off rocker again but back to the main point smart thing to do would be to not get involved with adam <sighs> the fun thing to do <laughs> is definitely not the smart thing the fun thing would be just tossing caution to the wind and just doing it on Adam's desk in front of Victor's portrait hanging on the wall, glancing down at them. That would be the fun thing to do. Maybe Adam can make love to Sharon while gazing deeply into the portrait of Victor's eyes. <laughs> that would be great. Love me now, Daddy? Chelsea is a wreck. She feels like she can't tell Adam that she's pregnant, but she also feels at the same time like she can't not tell him. And it doesn't hurt that Kane is hovering. Kane is knocking on her hotel room door on Valentine's Day, all sweetly and cutely acting like he's room service. What? Why? Where? What? Where did this this connection between Kane and Chelsea come from? I'm not saying it's all bad, but I don't know where it came from. Like, Kane's involvement in her life and her career is so presumptuous on his part, and it, it really needs to stop. Considering the ground that his marriage is on, it needs to stop. I mean, he's supposedly there to help Chelsea, to help coach Chelsea into making this pitch at Jabot for her designer clothes line. And I keep thinking, why does Chelsea even have to make this pitch? Shouldn't that be Chloe's job? Chelsea's the designer. What is Chloe even doing in this business? Shouldn't Chloe be involved in this? It's totally ridiculous. Kane is acting like... He knows Chelsea, tell, you know, he's talking to her about her marriage and ugh, telling her that she's a good person, going on about what a good person she is. He doesn't even know her. I don't get it. I, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't want Chelsea and Adam to get back together. I don't know how I feel about Chelsea and Kane. It's, it's so up in the air for me right now. Kane leaves and Adam knows in his heart that Chelsea had come to the house in a snowstorm to tell him something other than, here's your ring. So he goes to see her, and he prods 
her and she doesn't want to tell him anything. She doesn't want to talk to him at all. It's very tense. And then Chloe interrupts. She comes into the room because Chelsea has called her, I think, just wanting some moral support. And weird, weird, weird moment. <laughs> it's still Valentine's Day in Genoa City. And Chloe, like, busts into the room talking to Chelsea, like, telling her way too many details about her and Kevin's sexual relationship. She's like, it's Valentine's Day and, and, and you know, we were just getting ready to get hot and bothered, you know. I, I should be all tied up and in, in, in blindfolded in my bedroom right now in my cat suit instead of being here talking to you. So what is it that you want? It was weird. <laughs> it was weird. Like, do you guys think that Kevin and Chloe are into bondage? <laughs> I was so taken aback by that. Like, tied up and blindfolded and her in a cat suit. Like, do they have some kind of weird... I mean, they must have some kind of weird kinky sex because Kevin is dark and she's pretty open, but I just never thought about it before. I can count on my hand the number of times that we've seen a sex scene between Kevin and Chloe. In fact, I can only remember two times. There was one time in the back of Crimson Lights and then there was the one time over the money. That Those are the only two times I've ever seen Kevin and Chloe making love and it's never been anything S&M <laughs> related. But apparently they're trying something new and kinky. Ugh, Kevin and Chloe. They just don't. They don't do it for me. That's like, it's, it's Valentine's Day in Genoa City. Everybody's having sex. We saw so much sex this past week. And yet with Kevin and Chloe, it's only implied. They never go there. Weiner never decides to show us the sex. So what reason do I have to be invested in their relationship? Anyway, this is not about Kevin and Chloe. This is about Chelsea and her decision when it's coming to this baby. And she's talking to Chloe and she's telling Chloe that she's thinking about not having the baby. Um, so she's basically she's talking about getting an abortion. So I just have a suggestion for you, Chelsea, here. I mean, I know this is like weird and crazy, but just listen to me for a second, girl. How about keeping at least one of your kids. Just a suggestion. Something I want you to think about. I mean, ridiculous. Come on, Chelsea. Finally, she actually decides to keep the baby, but <laughs> she tells Chloe that she is planning on not telling Adam that it's his. Well, how is that going to work? She says to Chloe, um, she knows how to run a con. So that's her plan. She's going to have the baby, but not tell Adam that it's his. Well, it's going to have to be somebody's. So who are you going to be duping, Chelsea, into thinking that he's the father of your child? Who are we talking about here? Is it going to be Kane? Maybe? You guys have been spending a lot of time together. Maybe Billy? Well, it seems like you could uh, get in there and mess up that relationship. Or, who knows, maybe Alex? There was a little bit of groundwork laid there. Still, I don't care. Anyway, you slice it. Don't do it, Chelsea. Just tell Adam. Just tell him. You don't need to go to some elaborate means. You don't need to destroy any more lies with lies. I'm telling you, just when I started to be able to tolerate Chelsea, this. Like, when she's nice, she's boring. When she's bad, she's boring. Kane happens to come along and find Lily and Tyler passed out in the car, huddled together for heat, snuggling up. <laughs> so Kane saved the day, but it totally ruined their evening. They had huge Valentine's plans, and instead it became a huge fight. Kane is jealous, and finding them together all snuggly snuggly made him completely enraged. In fact, boy, Kane really tangented off and started accusing Lily of cheating. Not necessarily even with Tyler. He just all of a sudden was asking her, have you ever cheated on me? I need to know. Have you ever cheated on me? I need to learn how to do an Australian accent. That's got to be my new impression. My next impression is the Australian accent. But he, he all of a sudden is just very, very jealous. And he asked Lily even, like, did you cheat on me with Daniel? And she ultimately had to admit that she cheated on him with Daniel. And this is terrible, you guys, but I don't even remember that at all. I do not remember Lily and Daniel 
having sex. I mean, I know that they were getting close while uh, Cain was, while he was, after he died, I think I want to say. But, like, I am, so, I am so horrible. I don't even remember Lily and Cain being divorced because they were talking about being divorced. And I'm like, when did that happen? I tell you guys, I have been watching YNR for 20 years. This summer is my 20-year YNR anniversary, and I'm not a fair-weather watcher. I watch every episode. The only times I have ever missed in 20 years have been, like, back in the day if my VCR malfunctioned and I wasn't able to catch it. That always ticked me off. But I watch this freaking show, and I don't remember that at all. Like, my memory is so bad. I think I'm just so in the moment that I don't, I, I, I don't remember things. I have an awesome short-term memory. I can remember things, like, really, really clearly if I tell myself to, but psh, once it's out of my consciousness, psh, it's gone. So I feel bad that I don't remember that, but oh, I know, I'm sure it did happen. I need recaps. I need to, like, read YNR history more or something because I'm terrible, I'm terrible. But the point is... The trust has been broken with Lily and Kane. Kane is feeling jealous about her relationship with Tyler, and clearly Lily is starting to feel jealous about his relationship with Chelsea. And once the trust is broken, it's never the same. But that didn't stop them from having makeup sex. <laughs> the makeup sex was pretty great, I have to admit. And there was this awesome song playing over it. I just thought it was a really good lovemaking scene. It was extra passionate because they were extra mad with each other. And there's, you know, they're on the bed and this this mint colored sheet is just very perfectly placed, which is just, just ever so uh, just abruptly placed over them. Uh, and I just wanted to rip the sheet off. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to grab it and rip the sheet right off and just see it all. I wanted to see the lovemaking scene. Mm, it was good. And afterward, Lily is sleeping in the bed. And Kane gets up and he's sitting at the table next to the bed and he's thinking, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, Kane actually stays awake after sex. <laughs> just another reason why he is uh, an excellent soap punk. <laughs> Um, and it was weird. He, you know, Lily wakes up and she's like, what are you doing? Come on back to bed. But you could tell he's distant. He's thinking about, you know, whatever he's thinking about, his jealousy, his relationship, how he's feeling insecure. But he gets back into bed and <laughs> I just have to ask you guys, he was wearing this weird pair of like boxer briefs, but without the band. Is that a new kind of boxer briefs? There was no waistband. I thought that was bizarre. If anybody knows what those are called, let me know. I just, I was like, what the heck? These space age underwear <laughs> that he's wearing. But I guess it solves the debate of boxers or briefs. He's wearing his boxer briefs and not, <laughs> not anything leopard print. Um, <clears throat> now, Lily is trying to save her marriage. I think in some respects, Lily is a little bit oblivious to what's going on. Um, she in order to make Kane comfortable, is now back at work, and she's working on a lot of projects with Tyler, and she's being really defiant toward Tyler now. She's not hearing anything that he has to say. She's really trying to dodge him. She's being very short with him, and I just am wondering, do you guys think that Lily is mad at Tyler for how close and aggressive and presumptuous he's been with her? Or do you think that she's mad at herself for liking it? Where we last left off, Avery and Dylan are stuck together in a snowstorm in her apartment, reminiscing about old times. One thing leads to another, and they're making out. And I felt it. I feel like they have so much chemistry together. And it just got me to thinking about how very talented I think both of these actors are. I mean, talent is creating believable magic 
with someone you don't even know. These actors probably don't even know each other. And here they are making me believe that they've known each other for years and that there's a, a burning passion uh, that's kind of running underneath the relationship. I thought it was wonderful. I really do like Dylan and Avery there. I feel the chemistry probably more so than I feel the chemistry with Avery and Nick. Maybe just because it's untainted with them. I don't know. But as we all suspected, Nick shows up at Avery's apartment. They're mid-kiss. He knocks on the door. She goes to get it. He walks in, sees an eyeful, sees that there's, you know, something going on. I mean, Dylan ain't there to sell Girl Scout cookies. He's there because he wants his woman back. And Nick kind of came and left. I felt sorry for Nick. That's not the kind of situation you want to walk in on. But Avery, after Nick Lee left tells Dylan that that made her realize that it's over, that kissing him and, you know, then seeing Nick made her realize that all of that is in the past and that Dylan is someone that she used to love, but not someone that she loves anymore. And they had a really sad goodbye. And again, I just felt the passion there. Like it was Avery saying goodbye to him all over again. And I felt bad for Dylan, the poor guy. He, didn't do anything wrong in this situation and he has been building up to this moment where he was going to come back to her and ask her to marry him and now all of that is dashed. He's too late. In fact, he's at most a couple of months too late. It was very, very sad. But Avery felt like she had already said goodbye to him. She revealed that she had this sort of ceremony, kind of almost like a funeral to say goodbye to him and, and she just didn't want to dig all of that up again so she after Dylan leaves goes to see Nick she shows up at his door and is just like embraced by him immediately and they share this cozy couch Valentine's Day meanwhile Sharon is driving in the snow away from Adam's house and everything that just happened there Dylan is driving in the snow on his way away from Avery's house and everything that happened there. And Dylan and Sharon run smack dab into each other and have a car crash. And Sharon is shocked. She gets up out of the... She's been crying. Sharon is upset about what she's feeling and what's going on with Adam. But she just crashes. She gets out of the car. She runs over to Dylan before she even realizes who she is. I couldn't believe this. Sharon reaches over into the shattered glass window, grabs Dylan's neck and moves it over to her. Sharon, I haven't even taken first aid and I know you shouldn't be moving a patient. Someone who's just been in a car crash and you're just moving his neck around to see who he is? bad, Sharon. It was just so funny. It was supposed to be this horrible car accident. She reaches over and like jerks his neck. Come on. And Dylan, she realizes it's him and he's out of it. He is having like some kind of, I don't know if he has PTSD or something, but a post-traumatic stress disorder from being in the army, but he is talking nonsense about his army buddy. He thinks someone else was in the car with him, or he's, you know, Sharon's not able to make sense. He's just kind of calling out, Sullivan, you know, he's here, is he here, you know, and Sharon is not able to really make sense about what's going on, and she calls 911, gets Dylan the medical attention that he needs, and she also calls Avery. And Avery goes to the hospital to check on Dylan, and she clearly cares about him, but she is very resolute in her decision. I think seeing him lying there was, again, very, very hard for her, but yet at the same time, it reinforces her decision that she's done with it, she wants to be with Nick, and she leaves. It was a little bit cold, but what are you going to do? Well, you, you try to remain friends. It just that doesn't work when it's been that level of emotion. And Dylan has problems that extend beyond what's going on with Avery. We got a little bit of an insight into his mind this week where he has a flashback of being in combat. We've never seen a scene like that on YNR that I remember. I don't ever remember us doing a combat 
scene. So it was kind of different. He's, you know, in his gear and he's lying on the floor, or lying on the floor, lying on the ground, like in the dirt with his friend right next to him. And they've obviously been hit, kind of. They've been injured to some capacity, but they're still alive. And he's, t- t- like, there's, it's uh, it's Dylan and then Sullivan right next to him. And there's a gun between him and between them. And uh, Dylan is like, Come, can you push the gun over my way? But don't. Don't lift your head up. Keep your head down. And the the guy, like, accidentally, when he's trying to push over this gun, lifts his head up and then gets killed. So this is something that probably Dylan is really carrying on his conscience. I don't know if he feels like he was responsible for that in some way or if it was just the general trauma that would accompany seeing your friend getting shot and killed. But although I'd imagine that that's the least of it. I get the impression... I don't know. I think that Dylan was held captive. I think he was a prisoner of war and that the Americans assumed he was dead and and therefore, you know, everybody thought he was dead. But I think he was actually being held captive and maybe eventually he got released. And I, I don't know. I just wonder if he was tortured or something. I mean, he mentioned that he's done more tours than he can count, which is not right, by the way. People. People should not be going on multiple tours right back to back. That's enough to give you PTSD right there. That's not the point. You're not supposed to be a career soldier, you know? I mean, like, that's, it's just, that's, that takes a toll on somebody. So if he's gone into combat many, many tours in a row, more times than he could count, that's a lot of times. I'm assuming that he's definitely messed up. He's got some issues. Um, but he, you know, he gets out of the hospital, Avery goes home to Nick, and again, sort of reinforces her feelings, and Nick stands there, and he actually says the L word for the first time, tells her that he loves her, and she says that she loves him too, just while Dylan gets out of the hospital, and he's doing okay, and the more interesting thing he goes to visit Sharon to thank her for, for calling 911 and for calling Avery and all that. And what do you know? Sharon has got a hole in her roof <laughs> from the snowstorm. Sharon's got a hole in her head if she does not seize this opportunity with Dylan. Like, she doesn't want to get involved with Adam. And I don't know why she keeps torturing herself. Just, like, let Dylan in. Let him fix the roof. Let him fix anything else that needs fixing. Like, I'm down for it. Like, uh, Dylan is a good guy. And it's such a stark difference from Adam. Adam is the ultimate bad guy. So they, it's an odd choice for her, but she allows Dylan to come in and be her contractor and fix the hole in her roof. And we know they're going to be spending a lot of time together, which has very interesting possibilities. Like, gosh, Dylan, he's just like, there's been a lot of phone calls of him talking to his dad on the phone. I guess this he's, like, Faith is all scared about the hole in the in the roof, and he's comforting Faith. I'm like, is this guy running for the mayor of Genoa City? He's the, pretty much the nicest guy. How could you not like Dylan at this point? He's sexy, and he's nice. Like, what could you do? <laughs> I just, I, I'm into it. I'm, I'm open to, to Sharon and Dylan. Ultimately, I think that Avery and Dylan have a lot of magic, and I ultimately would like to see Adam and Sharon together. And I'm disappointed because Adam is going to be way too busy dealing with Chelsea to get back together with Sharon, which, I mean, the baby is going to be tying Chelsea and Adam together for the foreseeable future. Ugh. But if Sharon has to pass the time with her hunky contractor, that's okay by me. Nikki confided in Jack about her illness, and Jack turns around and tells Victor this week. So rude. I feel like Jack totally betrayed Nikki's confidence. I'm mad at him for that. I understand that Victor needed to know, but it was her decision if she wanted to tell him. 
Although it was a really freaking good scene with Jack and Victor. It was explosive because Victor and Jack, there's no love lost there. And J Victor is very suspicious of Jack having any involvement with Nikki. And <laughs> Jack busted in the door of the condo calling for Nikki. He, like invited himself in and just was like, Nikki. And Victor's like, how dare you? walk into the house calling for my wife-to-be. I can see how that would rub Victor the wrong way. And Jack proceeded to tell Victor to just shut up. She's sick. And, oh, it was such a good scene. But my question for you guys is, do you think that Jack had another motive there? Why did he tell Victor? Like, is, it, is there even maybe a kernel of Jack wanting to stick it to Victor in this situation, or was it all about just needing to help Nikki facilitate this truth? Because I feel like Jack cares about Nikki deeply, and he hates Victor, so I can see him wanting to take this opportunity to set him straight. Like, I care about Nikki, and if you're not going to take care of her and, and, and help her feel like she can be open with you, then I'm going to help push that along. And it was such a I mean, just an intensely great scene. If you watch one scene this week, you've got to go back and see that Victor actually said thank you to Jack as he walked out the door. Knock me over with a feather. I was not expecting that. It was very quick. Jack was in and out. Here's the information. See you, sucker. And Victor was actually taken back like, thank you for this information. Can you believe that? And then Nikki comes home. And Victor just looks at her like, I know. And she, he was actually very tender. You know, it's I understand why she thought that Victor would have the reaction that he, you know, that he would want to control the situation. That makes sense. That's very Victor-esque. But I was surprised and I appreciated how tender he was with her. He actually facilitated her telling the kids. He was the one that kind of introduced that. You know, we have to tell the family about this. We can't keep it a secret. And it was just a, a nice family moment. You know, for as much as we hear about how the Newmans are a family, they don't have a lot of family moments anymore. Nick and Victoria came over and she told them the truth about what was going on and there were tears and, and, and oh, just a really weird moment of Victor being a father and not just being Victor Newman. It, it was a it was a good moment. I really enjoyed it. Um, and there was just uh, you know some resolution that we're not going to treat Nikki any differently. We're not going to you know she doesn't want that. She doesn't want everything to be all about the illness. She wants to try to live as normal of a life as she can. And Victor's there to help her. I appreciate that. I want to see Victor being a partner, not a dictator. Those days need to be over. I'm just I'm over it. And I'm ready for some good stuff. And there was actually some really good news. As they're sitting on the couch together, Victor gets a phone call that the ranch is going to be finished <laughs> the first week of March. So we're going to get the new ranch set probably within the next two weeks. Yay! I'm so freaking excited. I cannot wait to see the new ranch set. Although, I have to tell you, it's odd that the ranch would be finished on the week where I finally realized that the condo set is actually really beautiful. They have that gorgeous skyline in the background and the shears covering it, and there's all of these silver candlesticks and whatnot over it. It's actually a really visually beautiful set. They did a lovely job with that set. And I, I mean, more so than that horrible restaurant they did, ugh, which I hope I never see again. But, and it seems like maybe they haven't really showed it very much lately. So it seems like we're back to the athletic club. But I, I really do think that that was a beautiful set. And I don't know if they're going to keep it. I, if, I hope that they at least pass it along to somebody else. Hope somebody else buys it when we get the ranch. But I'm excited to see that. Um, Victor, is really pushing the wedding. He wants to get married at the ranch to celebrate and start their new life together. And Nikki is hesitant. She she just, for some reason, is really not key, as keen on the wedding as she was in the past. But Victor wants this to be 
a reassurance, this wedding to be a reassurance that he will stand by her in sickness and in health. So he sits down next to her on the couch, gets out his little calendar, tells her to just close her eyes and pick a date, and that's the date that they're going to get married. And it doesn't matter if Nikki is resistant to it or not, they're going to get married come hell or high water. You got that? Speaking of sets, it seems like Billy and Victoria are going to be remodeling their house. There was a scene where they're picking out paint swatches, and of course they're running around like painting each other and having paint, sexy paint time. And all I keep thinking is, as if Victoria would paint her own house. Give me a break. Victoria would totally hire somebody to do that. There's no way that she would pick up a brush and start painting her her own house. Besides, I like their house. Billy and Victoria's house is one of my favorite sets. Like, it doesn't need to be remodeled. It's supposed to look old. That's the point. So I'm disappointed. <laughs> I hope whatever they do is not that pink or magenta or whatever crap they put on the wall in there. Ew. Well, maybe they should just go to the condo. I don't know. It's a little too classy for them. I like the house the way it is. I think they should leave it. But I know other people don't like it, so we'll see. The thing that I don't like... <laughs> is Billy and Victoria. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Billy and Victoria just don't do it for me. Like, they're making love, and it's supposed to be cute, and I just am not into it, and I don't know why. I'm trying to ask myself, what is it that I don't like about Billy and Victoria? Because I think I like Victoria. I think it's that I just don't trust Billy. I, every time I see him... I think of him as kind of a playboy. I still think of him like that. I think of Billy as a perpetual screw-up. I think of him as someone who is, he's, he screws up and then he's charming and just gets away with it. And I just don't find that attractive at this point in my life. <laughs> I think maybe I could have at some point, but right now I just, Billy does not do it for me. Even though I do think that Victoria needs someone, I'm not saying that Victoria is an angel by any means, but she does need someone. She feels completely left out of what's going on at Newman Enterprises. Victor was very down on her this week. He was telling her, you know, you can say what you will about Adam, but he is doing a good job and a whole lot better of a job than you're doing, which made me feel really bad for Victoria. And I mean, she hates Adam. She she actually went to Newman Enterprises this week and She's having to see Adam sitting at the desk where she wants to be. And I have, oh, you guys, every time there's a scene between Victoria and Adam, I am like squealing. I love it. I love the way <laughs> that Adam jabs at her. He just even made some kind of comment about like, you know, I know you want to be more than just someone with great hair. Like he just made some kind of comment, just a classic, probably impromptu line that I just loved. I think that they're really funny together. I wouldn't mind seeing Victoria and Adam in more scenes together, uh, maybe butting heads at Newman Enterprises. I don't know if he's going to end up hiring her, if she's going to go back there. I have no clue at all. But Victoria is at ends, odd ends right now. I think she is not satisfied in her business career. You know, she has talent. She, even Adam was saying to her, yeah, maybe you used to be a sharp businesswoman, but you're not that anymore. And I think she misses that. I think she misses having a career. I think she's totally insecure in her personal life. Um, there was a scene where Billy is at the coffee house with little Johnny and Chelsea comes in and asks to hold him and Victoria walks in and sees it. And that totally sets her off. And frankly, Billy should have known better. He really should have. Like, he knows that Victoria is uncomfortable with it. Has he not heard a word that she has said? She doesn't like it. So don't do it. And, and furthermore, Billy, stop acting like Victoria is being unreasonable here. Chelsea is trouble. And Victoria is right to be concerned. So I get where Victoria is coming from 100%. Billy, of course, has to apologize and then come up with a big romantic gesture to make everything better again, to make up for his derpery. He 
is laying out rose petals in the house when she comes home from a horrible day. You know, having this confrontation with Victor, confrontation with Adam, and then finding out about her mother's MS. And I do appreciate that he was there for her. She needed that. She needed, you know, to feel secure at least in one place in her life. It just irritated. It all boils down to my irritation with Billy. He gets down on one knee and he proposes to her like, which, I don't get it. Like, he gave her a, a big old ring. They have tattoo rings right now. So he gave her a real ring. It was, like, a big ring that was very diamondy, and she barely blinked at it. <laughs> I would have been like, oh, yay. But then again, I don't get diamonds just thrown at me probably the way Victoria Newman does. Uh, but, so, like, are they going to have a ceremony now? Are they going to have a re-wedding ceremony or is this just something that Billy pulled out of his ass so that Victoria doesn't stay mad at him for letting Chelsea hold Johnny and for like pushing Chelsea into business at Jabot like I just don't know I want to get into it but I'm having a hard time can somebody please remind me why I should like Billy Okay, my podcast friends, I really hope that you guys enjoyed this week. I hope that you're enjoying the podcast. You're going to have to let me know what you guys think. You can always, by the way, go to iTunes and leave me a review of the podcast. Let me know if you like it. That always helps. Reviews in iTunes help other people discover the YNR podcast. So that's good for everybody. Um, or, you know, just let me know what you're thinking about this week's show. There's a couple of different ways you can do that. You can call into my voicemail and leave a, a message. It's just a voicemail, and I think you get like three minutes before the beep if you'd like to do that. The telephone number is area code 309-588-4569 within the U.S., so it's country code 1 if you're abroad. Um, or you could go to my blog. You can leave a comment on the posting for this week's podcast. You can also see the video there if you're into that. The web address is yrchatblog.blogspot.com. Or you can just send me an old email to yrchat at live.com. If you got some comments that you want to get off your chest, go ahead and uh, send them my way. I love hearing them. Okay, that's, that's my cue. <laughs> I love you guys, and I'll be back next week to chat again. So I'll see you then. Bye.